Hey everyone, Misaligned is back and we are starting off our new season today. But before we jump into that, I want to let you all know that today's episode is sponsored by 6131 Records. And right now we are going to have you listen to a clip of Toothbrush Song by Sammy Lanzetta. It's off of her For Avery EP. you all enjoyed that little clip there and you can check out all of the bands over at 6131records.com and Megan will be telling you all a lot more about the label and what they have going on right now later on in the episode. Before we dive into our new seasonal topic which is going to revolve all around fandoms we want to briefly touch on the grammys and i know by the time you all are listening to this it would have happened a few weeks ago so we are going to keep this fairly brief but megan i know you had a few performances you wanted to to discuss and the first one you mentioned to me was kesha's performance of praying oh my gosh that performance was so good however I don't like how they were saying that, oh, this is going to be a great night for Kesha. Oh, this (laughs) is going to be a great night for the Time's Up movement and the whole Me Too wave of everything going on. And Kesha was shut out. Her performance was so powerful and emotional, but clearly it didn't have an impact on the Academy, who still awarded Ed Sheeran pop vocal album of the year and pop vocal song of the year even though there were like so many other awesome women who were nominated in that category and i'm a little salty but anyway yes kesha's performance was powerful and amazing and she brought on stage bb rexa cindy lopper camilla cabello audra day and a chorus of just beautiful beautiful sounding women It's going to be one of the most talked about performances on the internet for the next few weeks, especially given the Time's Up movement and the Me Too movement. So if you haven't seen it yet, why haven't you? You've had all this time. Are you living under a rock? I mean, really, (laughs) come on, people. But anyway, Kesha's performance aside, the Grammys had an amazing slate of performances last night. So we're recording this on the 29th. So obviously, yes, last night. I also wanted to touch on the three tributes that they had last night as well. One, a lot of people said it was too short, which was Tom Petty's tribute featuring Chris Stapleton and Emmylou Harris performing Wildflowers. I thought it was great. I thought it was yeah. perfect. And I think Tom Petty would have loved it. 
Yeah, definitely. And you have another one on here that actually has quite a few country people in it as well. Mm -hmm. And that's the Eric Church, Brothers Osborne, and Maren Morris tribute. They sang Tears in Heaven, which was a tribute to the Route 91 Harvest Fest. And that one was a really great performance as well. And, you know, usually with Maren Morris, you're sort of really used to seeing her use a whole stage, but instead they just had the four of them sitting there playing their instruments and singing and it worked so well it didn't need to be a big showy performance and I think the same can be said for basically all three of these tributes they were more intimate performances and I think that works really well for these kinds of tributes true and I do feel bad for Marin because there was clearly some audio issues going on on her end when she was talking I did notice that shame on you sound people (laughs) I feel like there's a sound problem almost every year at the Grammys and something weird just happens it's like how do you not have this down yet (laughs) honestly they just need to hire my friend Tim I know he's out with Noah Gunderson right now but he is an awesome sound guy but you know that aside The other tribute actually I think could have been a little flashier just because of who they were memorializing. Yeah. But Gary Clark Jr. and John Batiste did an amazing job with their tributes to Chuck Berry and Fats Domino respectively. I can't think of anybody else who is more perfect for those tributes than those two artists in particular. Fats Domino had a very showy way of playing the piano when he got all worked up. And of course, Chuck Berry and the guitar, one of the fathers of rock and roll as we know it today, just iconic. And honestly, I could do with Gary Clark Jr. doing more tributes on the Grammys every year, honestly. But to feature John Batiste as well, more people know who Gary Clark Jr. is than John. So that's that was fun. Yeah, well, that covers everything we wanted to just quickly bring up here about the Grammys. So now we're going to roll it on into our main topic here, which is introducing you all to our fandom season. And before we dive in, I'm going to just read off a literal definition of fandom from dictionary.com here, just in case anyone wants to hear that. So fandom, you can either have it be the state or condition of being a fan of someone or something, which is, you know, the more obvious definition. But a little better one is the fans of a particular person, team, fictional series, etc., regarded collectively as a community or subculture. And that's more what we're going to be talking about here. And the example they have in here is the Breaking Bad fandom, but we're going to be talking all about music fandoms. So, Megan, when you first mentioned this topic, it's one where I was like, yeah, okay, that makes sense because I can think of a lot of different fandoms, especially for, you know, big pop stars like Beyonce has her beehive, Lady Gaga has her little monsters, and there are just so many animals. Yeah. And I was texting you the other day and I realized, you know, that Babel music article that I sent you, which we'll link to here because it ranks, you know, the best and worst fandom names, basically. But the killers have a fandom called the victims. And I had no idea they even had a fandom like that. So it was one of those things where I was like, wow, that is so perfect and sort of black humor, too, in a way, because you have a band named the killers and you would think they would be 
a group that sounds like some sort of death metal group or something like that, but they're really not. And then to have their fandom be the victims, it's just so fitting for the band's brand, basically. It is. And if we look back in history, one of the biggest fandoms that actually kicked off the wave of fandomism are the Beatlemaniacs, the fans of the Beatles. Yeah. So we can thank the Fab Four. Yes, the Fab Four. If I said this wrong, <laughs> I am sorry. I'm pretty sure it was just four members of the Beatles. The Fab Five was in reference to the gymnasts for the U.S. Olympics oh, team. So I, th- okay, I think you're okay, good there. Good. I got that confused okay. a w- for a while, too. I was like, wait, can they even use that nickname? And then I was like, oh... But there were kind of five Beatles, but really there yeah. were only the four. So True. it was five five in spirit there. So <laughs> you're good with the Fab Four. But we can thank them for kicking off this trend. I'm actually on the Wikipedia page right now for a list of fandom nicknames, and some of these are ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. We do have the pop culture ones, like the Whovians and the Sherlockians for Doctor Who and Sherlock, respectively, because fans of British TV shows are very, very loyal. And I say this is a Whovian. But if I go through here, some of the funny ones are the Aquabats have the Aqua Cadets. Ariana Grande has the Arianators. Sports teams also have fandoms, like Arsenal Football Club has the Gooners, which is actually derived from the team's nickname, the Gunners. Yeah, and the Packers have the cheese heads, so this you is know. also true. I, I do not and have a cheese hat though, just letting everyone know. Cheese hat does not you, exist in this household. You live in California, you'd look ridiculous with one. <laughs> I know people who have them though. So it's, uh, it's a I thing. You too. <laughs> and oh yes, Barry Manilow of all people, his fandom is called the Fanilows. <laughs> yeah. Gotta love them. But also, going back to Sherlock with the Sherlockians, we have the Super Who Lock, where it's supernatural Doctor Who Sherlock. And for fans of Benedict Cumberbatch in particular, they've got the very not-safe-for-work Cumberbitches. So ridiculous. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's something. And even going back to American Idol, when Clay Aiken wasn't a politician, his fans were called Claymates. If I go into names of bands today that are very, very relevant, I feel like Fallout Boys fan club has gone through different names in the fandoms because right now it says they're Youngbloods. Yeah, I didn't even know that they had an actual name for theirs, but I think so. I've I don't know. One of the things I wanted to bring up was when do you first remember a fan club sort of being a thing for a band you listen to because for me you know I wasn't really aware of them until I kept seeing Linkin Park's fan club show up everywhere it's like they would have sort of these special releases in Best Buy or something and it's like you could become a member of the fan club they would have like a little you know postcard or whatever come with the CD and you could go and sign up and then it was like you paid either a monthly or yearly fee and you were able to get access to pre-sale tickets and all sorts of other things and they had like different levels of support I guess you could say and you could get you know a t-shirt 
like wristbands, like the sweatbands almost. I think those used to be popular back then. Oh, so they were very, very popular. <laughs> yeah, I, I had a few. I think I had, you know, like a Globetrotters one or something at least. So <laughs> there's that. Mm-hmm. But I really feel like Linkin Park was the first fan club I remember actively seeing on like MySpace or you know, having those little postcards come with the CDs and Best Buy or what have you. So is there one specific one you remember first being made aware of? You know what? I don't even think there was really a name for this because my first association with fandoms would be in the era of boy bands and girl bands in the 90s. So NSYNC, the Backstreet Boys, the Spice Girls, they had a huge cult following. Right. And on this Wikipedia page that I am just casually browsing, I'm not seeing anything for their official fan base nickname, which is interesting because you'd think that they would. Yeah. But I think naming the fan bases has been something that's taken shape over the last 10, 15 years. I remember when Jack's Mannequin first hit the scene, they had the messengers and that kind of died out. And now... You know, it's just fans of the band. And, oh, man, these these are really funny. <laughs> uh, obviously, you've got the Parrot Heads, who were Jimmy Buffett fans. I think that one also has been around for a while. Also, I'm sure they love Cheeseburger in Paradise and Margaritaville. But also, Jennifer Aniston fans are called Fanistons. I don't know if that was something that came up. <laughs> pre-friends or or post-friends. But anyway, it's definitely something that a lot of the pop artists today have taken under their wings, like Katy Perry and the Katy Cats, The Believers with Justin Bieber, and, oh my gosh, The Waniacs for Lil Wayne. This is is something, let me tell you. That do- that doesn't sound great. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I, don't I can't even tell remem- you. I don't even remember really if the Linkin Park fan club had a name for the fans. I think it literally might have just been like the Linkin Park fan club or something like that. Because like you said, I don't remember these fandoms or fan clubs ever really having names. It was sort of like, hey, here's this band's fan club. You know, if you pay X amount of money, you get these cool perks and everything. And I don't even remember which one was the first one I recall having a name, but it's certainly become bigger and bigger in the age of social media, too, because then you can, you know, like hashtag Beyonce's Beehive or just Beehive and people will know what you're talking about on Twitter and everything like that. So one other thing I want to know is, were you a member of any of these fan clubs growing up or are you a member of you know any now Beyonce's Beehive Paramore's fan club which I sadly do not know if they actually have a name I apologize for that but you See, know this is I why love I'm Paramore. on the Wikipedia page <laughs> um it says here that Lincoln Park actually is the soldiers okay and Paramore is the para family okay that, that these one. could be unofficial names too yeah <laughs> I don't know some of them are definitely official But going back to your question, I never really paid to be a part of a fan club, per se. I think it was more an internet grouping because I was part of the Messengers for a time. And I know that now a lot of the stuff, if you mention the Rihanna Navy or the Bayhive, 
Some of those you do have to pay in, but you can still consider yourself part of their fan club, even if you're just a fan, and go support them in concerts and stuff. Um, the Bayhive especially is very active on social media. Yeah. And I had a very wonderful Bayhive-related Christmas where <laughs> if my best friend is listening, I hope her package has arrived to her now since I mailed her Christmas presents this week really late. <laughs> but circumstances beyond my control. Not going to get into that. Um, and she mailed hers and I got it when I came back from a fencing tournament that I worked to a mug that had on the package you slay like slay is in the christmas slay anyway that's your daily dose of puns for the day <laughs> but i actually have a yellow mug that has her name on the back of it and on the front it's two middle fingers one hand has boy and one hand has bye so i, I can now say i am part of the beehive with that mug and my best friend will be as well because i got her a shirt that says slay S-L-A-Y, not actually like the sleigh, <laughs> or you will be e-lemonated. <laughs> yes. That, that's pretty funny. Her merch is really something. And yeah. surprisingly, if you're in the United States, the shipping is not bad at all to buy stuff from her website. Might be overpriced stuff, but shipping was like three bucks you know, for a t-shirt. We could probably do a whole episode on how bands and artists price their merch <laughs> because I feel like some it's just so ridiculous I'm like why would you do this to your fans when they're already you know coming to your shows and supporting you exactly and if you look at it too even outside of the music realm the nerd fighters with the vlog brothers of John Green and his brother whose name escapes me at the moment uh Hank Green I'm sorry, I absolutely forgot about Hank's name. <laughs> but anyway, the Vlogbrothers and the Nerdfighters are one of the most prolific groups on the face of fandoms today. They've really helped set the wave of becoming super involved with social media, from vlogs to Twitter to Tumblr to Facebook to all of that. So really it's taken what we experienced as kids in the pop age and kind of blowing it up full scale which is really cool so it just depends i didn't even know that some of these people had fandom names which is weird <laughs> some of these just i don't understand it at all but anyway yes <laughs> and another going back into the world of pop culture another thing that is very prolific are the bronies with my little pony oh commonly yes. yes commonly these are older male fans which are kind of the creepy ones <laughs> some not all but it says here that female ones are sometimes called pegasisters which is interesting so there's that but going back into the world of music miley cyrus at a very early age had the smilers and that's because her nickname as a kid was Smiley. So for some reason, the Smilers just stuck. And surprisingly, I don't see the Jonas Brothers on here. I know that's a big fandom that right now, it's 2018, we're hoping that they make a uh, reunion tour, which would be nice. Because I'm pretty sure their self-titled album is 10 years old this year. And I would love to see a reunion tour, even though... We all know that Nick has a really good career right now, and Joe is off doing his thing with DNCE, and Kevin is just enjoying married life with kids. 
a 10 year anniversary is certainly a good reason to do a reunion tour though so who knows what you could see from them and another thing i want to do just discuss here real quick is how we'll be breaking down the fandoms for this season so we'll have seven more episodes after this one will be our traditional book club episode which will announce that book after megan tells you all more about 6131 records in a little bit but you know some people will have their own episodes so you know bands like paramore their fan club is definitely big enough and active enough to where we can spend a whole episode talking about them and the same could be said for beyonce easily which you know i know those two are ones we definitely have planned out to do single episodes for and then Mm -hmm. i think some of the other ones we could probably lump together two three four in the same episode and we'll certainly be doing that so you know we mentioned the killers so if we get some more groups similar to the killers we could do a whole episode just on sort of these genres too and see how the fandoms differ by genre as well oh we've got to have a boy band episode in this slate of episodes definitely yeah (laughs) there's just too much like the directioners the jonas brothers group well, I guess, you know, we're going to have to put Beaver in with this group because of the Believers, even though he's not a boy <laughs> band, but it's True. still, it's still prolific. And we're still kind of on the fence about doing a whole episode on the juggalo culture that may come up with our book, but we can't have a season about fandoms without talking about the juggalos and juggalettes who are fans of Fago a delicious soda that you can find on well you can find it about anywhere i know that sheet sells it on the east coast and that rocks but also the insane clown posse fan base just it's got an impact it really does especially since i think it might be the only fandom that is classified as a gang by the united states government so that's always fun I don't doubt that by any means. It, <laughs> I do not doubt is. that. <laughs> it so. is. And they actually had a juggalo march on Washington um, just to kind of boycott the fact that the government thinks that they are, in fact, a gang. I bet Washington really loved that. You know what? I kind of wanted to be there for <laughs> that march. In fact, there is a Wikipedia link for the march. It was held on September 16th of 2017. And, oh, yes, it took place on the same day as a pro-Trump rally called the Mother of All Rallies. And it says here about 1,500 demonstrators gathered near the Lincoln Memorial Reflecting Pool. That's a pretty uh, large gathering of fans protesting. Yeah. I think it may have also been larger than the mother of all rallies, but I don't know. (laughs) Well, Megan, before we dive a little deeper into the Juggalos here, because like you said, our book pick will certainly cover that and we'll announce that after you let us know a little more about 6131 Records right now. This episode of Misaligned is sponsored by 6131 Records. Right now, they've added some new shirts and merchandise to their web store at shop.6131records.com. They've also restocked shirts from Julian Baker, Culture Abuse, and their classic 6131 logo tee. The logo tees and Julian's new shirts are printed on Next Level Apparel, and they are extremely soft and comfortable. I own a 6131 tee. 
it is so ridiculously comfortable that I wish all of my band tees were made with that material. So if you like soft shirts, I would recommend picking it up. In fact, they're offering us, well, us being you, the listeners, a discount to their store. Use the code MV10 for 10% off your next purchase on 6131 apparel and releases. You can only use it once per customer and with an order of $10 or more. On the artist side of 6131, they've released Sammy Lanzetta's 4 Avery EP in October, and in November, Kinling's Hush was put out. Besides that, they've got artists who are out touring right now. Sammy has three Richmond, Virginia dates coming up this month, being February, not January, one with Chris Barron and Adult Mom, which should be very, very fun. Thunder Dreamer also has two dates coming up in March in Brooklyn and Washington, D.C., and The Winter Passing will be touring through the United Kingdom and Ireland this month. For more information on any of the 6131 bands or for more tour dates, please visit 6131records.com. Yes, definitely do that because they have some great merch, great bands, just great all around. So definitely do that. And as promised, we are announcing our book pick. And since Megan does not have the book just yet, I will read off the title and I'll even read the back description of the book for your entertainment because it's certainly something. So the book title is You Don't Know Me, But You Don't Like Me, Fish, Insane Clown Posse, and My Misadventures with Two of Music's Most Maligned Tribes. And this book is by Nathan Rabin, who is a writer all over the web. He has written for the AV Club and the Onions Entertainment section, most notably. So, okay, I hope you're all ready for this, but I am going to read the back of the book now, so prepare yourselves. When critic and memorist Nathan Rabin, whom Mindy Kaling called smart and funny in The New Yorker, turned his laser-like focus to the subject of obsessed music fans, he had no idea that the project would take him to the furthest reaches of both the pop culture universe and his own mind. For two very curious years, Rabin hit the road with two of music's most entrenched yet derided fan bases, Fish's neo-hippie following and Insane Clown Posse's notorious juggalos. Musically and stylistically, these groups could not be less alike, and Rabin was initially skeptical about both acts, but once he delved below the surface, past the caricatures, and into the essence of their cultures, he discovered that both collectives had admirably, if atypically, fulfilled a human need for the community. While Rabin happily immersed himself in these two worlds, he also had to grapple with the discovery that he is bipolar. His journey became both a prism for cultural analysis and a deeply personal excursion. Rabin's unusual tale is a smart and electrifying evaluation of his transformative experiences with two critically neglected touchstones of American popular music. It's going to be a fun book to read. I actually have to go pick it up at my library this week. But I think it'll be one that you guys enjoy. When we were kind of researching stuff to do for a book for this particular season, I just input the words fandom into my library system. And that's actually one of the first books that popped up. There really aren't too many books on music fandoms that you and I were initially finding either. Some were like textbooks, and we don't want to have you guys read a textbook by any means because, you know, Megan and I both know that textbooks are... We're out of college. Let's not read textbooks anymore. (laughs) Yeah, they're they're not always fun. Some, because I majored in music industry, were, were decent, but, you know, it's not a thrilling read by any means. And this book is only about 260 pages, so it's not super long, and it looks like 
like it's pretty spaced out too and there are like fairly big margins so even though it is 260 pages it'll probably still be a quick read oh totally and the fish fandom is one that's also very interesting actually going back through history another big prolific group are the deadheads who followed the grateful dead and jerry garcia we could even do a deep dive into history about that too so yeah there are still deadheads that follow them around today. <laughs> and if any of you are listening to this podcast on Overcast, just know that you are supporting fish fan Marco Arment, who developed the app. So there's a fun fact for the day for you all. In case you did not know, he was a huge fish band. And for reference, fish is more of a jam band. So very oh, yes. similar to the Grateful Dead, which Megan, you just mentioned. And mm -hmm. it's very interesting to have these two bands be part of the same book and I haven't started reading it just yet so I have no idea what to expect out of it but we'll certainly have plenty to talk about with ICP in this episode so you know Megan and I will discuss further if it will require a second episode but and I think I know what we should do for the book episode with those two fandoms in particular okay we can drink some fago and eat some fish food ice cream oh right in case you didn't know fish food spelled p-h-i-s-h -H, is actually a ben and jerry's ice cream flavor it's delicious i've had it before just because it sounded good not because i'm really a fan of fish but it's chocolate ice cream with marshmallow swirls, caramel swirls, and some fudge fish. F-I-S-H. Not actually fudge band members, because I think that would be a little strange. But yeah, they teamed up with Ben and Jerry's. And I think this was Trey Anastasio's idea. But we should eat some ice cream and drink some soda when we talk about this book. Well, you can drink some soda, but I don't drink soda. So that's certainly not happening. <laughs> oh, man. I don't think well, they have it the over here cream, anyway. Then. Yes, I ice cream I do eat. But yes, Fago does not exist near me. Hey, that ice cream is very good. Like I have to say Ben and Jerry's has one of the best chocolate ice creams, like ice cream bases out there. Well, we certainly have Ben and Jerry's out here, so I can yes. look around and see if I find that. And see, we're talking about fan clubs and fandoms, and I'm here being a fan of the Ben and Jerry's ice cream. <laughs> one day I'll make it to Vermont to their factory. But until then, I'll enjoy not freezing my butt off and uh, being moderately warm in the East Coast, or rather the Mid-Atlantic, I should say. Yeah, so before we head into recommendations and everything here, this book isn't going to be super easy to find, so I highly recommend checking out your libraries or checking Amazon for it. If I see that it is, in fact, on Amazon, for some reason, I have noticed that certain music books just don't appear on Amazon. So it's one of those things where it depends on who printed the book and everything like that and if it was a small run or a big run or what have you but you know Megan and I definitely did some searching to find this book so that we could have it as our book club episode so we'll do our best to make it easy for all of you to find the book as well so is there anything else you want to mention about the book or fandoms in general before we move on to recommendations Megan? Well, actually, I just looked up this book. It is on Amazon. Perfect. And if you do have the little Chrome app that helps you find, it's called Library Extension. Yeah. And you can look up a book on Amazon and see if it's actually in your library system. 
for example, it's showing up that right now there are zero copies out of one available at my local library, but that's probably because I have a hold on it right now. So I will be getting that. And it also will give you details on if a book is an ebook or not in your library system. But right now, this book is $9.28. That's right now on January 29th. So it's worth picking up at that price because books are very expensive these days. And I think another thing that we can talk about with this book before everyone reads it is that it did come out in 2013. So it's not like it's something super ancient. And I'm, well, obviously the March of the Juggalos won't be mentioned in this. Of no, it was also one of Rolling Stone's 20 best music books of 2013. So if that doesn't get your attention, I don't know what will. <laughs> Yeah, well, why don't we go ahead and move on to our recommendations? You know, this is just an intro episode, so we didn't intend for it to be super long or anything. We just wanted to get you all familiar with our new topic and have a general idea of what to expect from the remaining seven episodes. And, you know, we will try to continue to have guests on as well. I know we have someone planned to come on for the Paramore episode. We won't spoil that yet, though. That'll be something we let you all know on Twitter later. So, And I believe the person is going on the Paracruise, or Parahoy. There we go. The Paramore Cruise Parahoy as well. Yes. So see, that is like fandom to the max there. So, you know, if you can get your fans to go on a cruise with you, I think I think you're set in the fandom world. But Megan, I know you have some music-related recommendations, whereas I do not. So I will go ahead and let you dive into yours. Yes, as always, you know, I have the music recs, but <laughs> that's because I listen to a lot. My recommendations this week is a new album and an old song. Ruins by First Aid Kit was released this month, and it is a fantastic album. If you like folksy groups, especially ones from Sweden, First Aid Kit is right up your alley. And I also have John Legend's version of What's Going On from his 2016 Spotify Singles Session. It's a song that's still very relevant today. And maybe, just maybe, he and Chrissy will name their new son Marvin. Wouldn't that be a wonderful uh, <laughs> homage to the late, great Marvin Gaye? It certainly would. And... I do not have a music recommendation this week, like I just said. So I am recommending Black Lightning, which is a new show on the CW. As of this moment, there have only been two episodes, but by the time you are all listening to this, it should be around four or five, depending on when exactly we drop this first episode here. But expect it around, you know, right now, it should be around mid-February for everyone. But what I really love about what the CW is doing with Black Lightning is they're not forcing it to be tied into the rest of the Arrowverse, which is, you know, Arrow, The Flash, Legends of Tomorrow, and Supergirl to a smaller extent. So they're letting this show stand on its own. And you have this hero who has taken a break for nine years. So we're not even getting an origin story out of it either. They're just jumping right into this. You know, he's sort of retired from being Black Lightning. He's a principal at a school and he's trying to get his students to just be able to have a better life, go to college, get great jobs and everything like that. And I think for 2018, this is sort of really a good template for what superhero shows 
could be like in this day and age. And it's just a fantastic cast as well. You have Cress Williams as Black Lightning, and he is really great in the role. And while I'm mentioning him, he did appear on a recent episode of the Nerdist podcast with Chris Hardwick, and he had a fantastic conversation. He actually grew up a city over from me. So for me, that was really entertaining. And then he went to a junior college that was, you know, a mile or two away from where I went to high school. So he is certainly very local to the Orange County area and everything like that. And this show is just fantastic. Even if you don't necessarily like superhero shows, I would recommend checking this out because it's not so much about, hey, this guy has powers and everything like that. It's more like, how is this guy helping his community? And he just happens to have powers and he doesn't necessarily need to use them all the time to help the community either. I might have to check that out. If it, You said it was on the CW, right? Yeah. So it should be up on their app as well the day after, I believe. Yeah. They've been killing it lately with everything. So that should be good. Yeah, I definitely recommend it. Megan, I know you aren't deep into the superhero shows nearly as much as I am, but it's making a statement in a way that I feel like not all of the other superhero shows even come close to doing at times. See, I'm just looking forward to uh, what the Marvel Universe is going to have this year, movie-wise. So, yeah, it's definitely along the lines of, you know, the excitement that people are feeling for Black Panther 2, because oh, he's... Oh, man, I'm so excited for that. Yeah, because, you know, it's a similar situation. He's, you know, Black Lightning isn't the king of a country or anything like that, but it's, you know, on a smaller scale, and it's still very impactful. It's true. But now that I have taken this podcast completely away from music topics, I think we'll wrap it up on that note. So, Megan, I'm definitely looking forward to talking about these fandoms and potentially eating some fish food ice cream i'll definitely look for that but soda's oh, not I my thing recommend so it. you know if you do drink some fago there you'll have to tell me how it is and i'll just you know pretend like i can relate because i can't even tell you the last time i drank soda it's just never been something that i have found enjoyable but that's a whole other topic for not this podcast basically so as always thank you all for listening and we hope you enjoy the rest of your day